Welcome to Hatching Creativity. This isn't just another behavioral health podcast. This is the place where thought leaders converge to talk about real life challenges, breakthroughs, and pivotal aha moments. Today's guest is Chris Wolfington from FinPay. Can you share with the people who are listening to this what inducement is? Can you define inducement? And then we can talk about the inducement risk. Yeah. So inducement risk was a law that used to be really just for Medicare, Medicaid. It applies in all sorts of It's centered around the idea that you can't offer an incentive or a reward is the actual language in the statute to get someone to get their care at your facility. Mm-hmm. And here's the logic. The logic kind of makes sense. Some compliance rules, you and I could probably agree, they're unreasonably burdensome on the provider, which ultimately ends up costing you and I more money as consumers, right, with through higher costs. Mm-hmm. But inducement sort of makes sense, right? Not to pick on lawyers, but, you know, the old ambulance chaser, you know, sort of cliche against lawyers. Well, you don't want ambulance chasing hospitals, right? Oh, come and get your knee surgery here and I'll get you a free soup and, uh, you know, a gift card at uh, TGI Fridays, right? Like what they wanted to do is to make sure that providers were not using anything other than the convenience and quality of their care as the competitive differentiator, why I would go to Dr. Jones versus Dr. Smith or Hospital A versus Hospital B. And Medicare and Medicaid didn't want to get caught up in that. So they said it is literally a federal crime, like go to jail crime, fraud. If you use any type of reward or incentive to get the patient to receive their care from you. Now, that did not apply to commercially insured patients for a while. But what happened is the insurance, the commercial insurance companies sort of piggybacked off of where CMS was going and said, well, wait a minute, if you want to be in network with me, you can't induce, right? Because one of the the strategies behind in network is if you're the provider, I want more patients. So I'm willing to get access to these in-network patients with, say, Blue Cross, but I'm taking them at now a lower rate. And Blue Cross's logic is, hey, provider, if you're in network with me, you're going to get all my patients. They're going to come to you. That's why you should let me pay you less for those services. But Blue Cross isn't stupid, and Aetna's not dumb, and United Healthcare is not dumb. When they sign those managed care agreements, they're going, yeah, by the way, you there's no inducing. It is a violation of your agreement with us to offer any type of incentive or reward for the patient to come to you. That's why, by the way, and I don't know if consumers have even recognized this, that there's no reward programs in healthcare. Right. Until I just said it, most when I say that to people, they're like, oh my God, I never really thought of that. Like, right, there's reward programs for everything. I can go to Joe's coffee shop, scan a key tag, right? (laughs) And 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 he has a, a loyalty program. But um, healthcare doesn't. And there's another topic around that that we're planning on doing at FinPEG, where you get reward points and access to merchants with gift cards just for paying your bills on. Because we can. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, it's kind of cool. That's the idea. So, though, I swear, getting people to pay their bills is like 
pulling teeth. It's just amazing what what's involved in that. For so sure. here's what's here's what's interesting about the behavioral health space. So in the behavioral health space in 2018, they passed a law called ECRA, mm-hmm. and ECRA was really aimed at two main abuses that was going on in behavioral health. And I'll admit, I believe they were going on, like for for what anyone thinks about my opinion, Um, patient brokering and uh, some of the abuses in the lab business were absolutely excessive. And the government had to crack down on it. I'm sure the insurance lobby had something to do with it. But as a result, it extended the criminality of inducement from just Medicare, Medicaid patients to substance abuse disorder patients for commercially insured patients. So there's a lot of words there. Let me explain what it means. It means if a provider is charged and convicted of inducement, meaning providing any type of incentive or reward uh, to a patient to come to their treatment center, you go to jail. It's not a civil fine. You're going to jail. And there have been jail terms, right? So though the intent was to stop patient brokering and stop the abuses in the lab business, it it created a lot of complexity. And at the same time, something else has been going on. So 10 years ago, Mike, the reimbursement rates that I was getting for substance abuse treatment were such that, number one, whatever I was getting from the insurance company was more than enough to make my revenue model work for my business. And number two, the percentage of the rate that I was getting from the payer the percentage of that rate that was owed by the patient. We call it patient financial responsibility. Other people say patient liability. Other people say the word deductibles. And what they mean is everything, even though deductible is a specific type of liability. Um, But the patient owed 2% of the bill. So what does that mean? It means that nobody cared if they paid. Right? And it also meant that if you were companies servicing the industry, if you were an EMR business, if you were a revenue cycle solution, if you were a CRN, so whether you're Salesforce or Dazos or Kipu or CollabMD, AdvanceMD, Opus, Written, these are all technology solutions serving the space. If your customer didn't care about patients paying their bill, are you going to go and build technology and spend money developing things to manage that? Of course not. So what has happened in 10 years? Literally in 2013, the patient owed 2% of the bill. In 2023, the patient owes 25% of the bill. Now, here's what's challenging. On one hand, the government says, if I don't collect that money, I'm going to jail under ECRA. And the statute actually says that you make regular and customary collection efforts. That's the way it's worded. And those things have very specific meaning, and I'll get to that in a second. But think about it. One hand, I go to jail if I don't collect it. On the other hand, someone could say, oh, if I talk about money with a patient, they're going to go somewhere else because my competitor is not. That's a that's a piece of misinformation that's been going around the industry for a long time. Well, another thing to another thing to add there, Chris, too, is with everybody so focused on outcomes, you can you can pull it back to outcomes and yeah. you can go where everybody's talking about outcomes. What is the key, the top trigger? for people to go back to to use after a substance use disorder treatment. 
is they come out and then all of a sudden they've got these crazy bills, right? Their financial well, they say the third leading cause of yeah, the third leading cause of relapse is financial stress. So what happens? You come out, you got these huge, you know, these huge um, bills. I, I, I think that to not talk about finances in the in the front is completely irresponsible. And well, you know, I love I, your yeah, love your choice of words. So here's the here's the dilemma. The dilemma is there's no systems technology out there that historically has been available to manage this risk. So let's take the good actors. Somebody that genuinely wants to do the right thing by the patient, wants a positive outcome, and sincerely cares about this patient getting their life back through treatment and the journey of recovery. They're a good actor. Well, I can be a good actor all I want, but if I don't have the best practices and the tools and the technology to do that pre-admission conversation the right way, to have a tool that tells me what this patient's going to owe accurately, right? For me to understand my risks associated with what happens if this patient or doesn't pay me. So I can want to be a good actor all day long. So what's happened, Michael, to the good actors is they've been stuck with the solution is, well, I guess I got to wait till they discharge. I guess I have to wait till the claim is adjudicated. And then I'll know what they owe. And then I'll send them a bill. And then I'll close my eyes and go like this and hope they pay me. And to your point, not only let's look at it selfishly for the provider, you're not getting paid. If you, if that's your strategy, sending someone a statement and hoping they pay you, you already lost, you just don't know it yet, or you won't admit it. Right. But but to your point, how can you say you care about the patient and you invest in this continuum and curriculum of care? And you allow that to happen, knowing financial stress is a leading cause of relapse. And mm-hmm. ironically, you want to hear the craziest part, Michael? There's a really um, piece of misinformation going around the industry. People think if I send you three statements, that meets the compliance requirements under inducement. It so does you know not. You know what's really interesting? I had a guest on the podcast a couple weeks ago. His name was um, Zach Rothenberg. Are you familiar with Zach Rothenberg? Do you know who he is? Or are you familiar with the law firm Nelson Hardeman? I know. I know Harry Nelson. So, so he's so is that is that yeah really smart lawyer really smart. Yeah. I had a great. He's the first guy ready for this, and I owe Alia, uh, one of our clients, um, the CFO Janice, great lady. I really owe her. He was one of the First people in seven years I've been in this part of the space that really understood all the moving parts mm-hmm. and the complexities, right? It's a water balloon. If I'm if I go to all this effort to be compliant and I do that, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm losing money because I'm not being I'm not collecting that money, or maybe I'm losing admissions. Like there's a lot. There are levers. I actually, I actually use this slide in my in my deck mike that shows people the levers like if you change your business rules and you move this lever up it's going to make that lever go down and it's meant to illustrate that this is a complex problem well there's very few just like there aren't a lot of systems in the market mike that that thought out that maybe there'd be a day that patients would owe a lot of money 
or maybe there'll be a day you go to jail if you didn't collect it. So what's also happened is there's not a lot of professionals in the marketplace who are patient financial management subject matter experts. Uh, Harry Nelson came across to me, and I don't really know him. I don't do business with him. I just had a couple conversations with him, and I was extremely impressed with his, uh, you know, comprehension of of the, the space. Well, the the thing is this, Chris, is that any law firm that works in behavioral health is familiar with us because we do so much due diligence on the merger and acquisition. Yeah. And also because we help people get out of a world of crap as it comes to compliance. Right. And um, I had a conversation with Zach Rothenberg from Nelson Hardeman, and we were talking about, um, we talked about all kinds of things. I met with him at the uh, base conference and he was on the podcast. And I said to, to him during our episode, what is the biggest pitfall that treatment centers fall into when it comes to the payers? His response was the patient financial responsibility. And he went into detail on why and what happens and what you need to do. And so it is definitely becoming more prevalent. People are definitely becoming more aware of it. You guys are in the right place at the right time for that because of that. But I, I thought it was really interesting. And I remembered that you and I were going to be having a conversation when I had this talk with Zach about it. And it's the kind of thing where, yeah, it's getting to be. I think they're just getting started. Here, here, oh, yeah. I, so this is what I believe. People think, oh, the patient owes me deductible of X, copay of Y, coinsurance of Z, and that total is 2500 bucks, And they think that their risk is $2,500. And on paper, it might look that way. But you mismanage, and you don't have a patient financial management strategy that makes sure that you're compliant. Like collecting the money is, is, is important. And let's put that over here for a second. You're not compliant and you go through a payer audit. I sat through, I sit in on payer audits with my customers. They'll call me up and say, Cigna, Aetna, or whoever is auditing us. They're coming out here Tuesday. Will you come out? And uh, it's actually one of my most fun things to do in my job. Because the payers just assume that the treatment facility is going to have nothing in place around inducement. And they're gonna, it's gonna be a license to claw back claims. Because the burden of proof is on the provider. Like the payer doesn't have to bring anything to the table to prove you did something wrong. You actually have to prove you didn't do anything wrong. In other words, the payer shows up with a list. Hey, last six months, here's the list of our patient, our, our members still on our health plans that you serve. Mm -hmm. I need to see your standardized operating procedures around patient financial management. I need you to show me, not tell me, that you you have a normal process for regularly and customarily collecting these, these dollars. And sending statements doesn't count. Right. And they don't even have to get to the clinician charts to justify calling back claims because most people stick at this. My favorite part of the job is I show up on my laptop, I look the auditor in the eye and I say, sure. I said, uh, why don't we save some time? I say, why don't you pick a patient? And they always say to me, what do you mean? I go, any patient, like literally pick any patient you want. I said, you don't want me to pick, then it's not random, mm -hmm. right? And they'll go and they'll pick a patient off their list of, and I'll go to the patient page on my system, turn around my laptop and I'll say, here's the 
here's the truth and lending disclosures. Here's all the authorizations. Here's the agreement of payment terms before the patient was even admitted. I said, you are aware, Mr. Auditor, that if these payment terms are, are solidified prior to admission, you know, this facility can't be accused of inducement. They came to terms before they even were technically admitted, right? And then I always turn it back around. I go, you want to pick another patient? I've never gotten, <laughs> I've never gotten past three. And then That's they go, and then they go to clinician charts. Then they go to look somewhere else. But their goal is to apply pressure with the threat of clawing back claims. Because especially if you're at a network, because they don't want to be paying those rates. Right? That's what happens when a surveyor shows up and a client is using Hatch. Yeah. Is you can show them anything that they need to see within a couple of seconds and a couple of clicks. And right. you're not looking through binders. You're not digging through spreadsheets. It's all there. And it's just. And know, when they can... know, when they know, like you're, you're, my part of compliance is easy. I just have to deal with inducement and consumer protection. Yours is obviously a lot more thorough. It is. But, but when you're an auditor, just like if it's a tax auditor, right? Or your own auditor for your own company, your accounting firm. They just want to know you're buttoned up nice and tight. Mm -hmm. And when you have systems in place, like you guys do, that's why I'm a big fan of your platform. It's like literally a get out of jail free card. You're like, what do you, what, let, I don't want to tell you, let me show you. And the well, minute what the you do that. Do too, what the payers do too, when they come and they take a look and they see that your charts, right, or, or your documentation or your policies is not systemized and done correctly, they assume that you're doing it loosey-goosey and you always have, and they can go back. Yeah, they can also start taking, uh, you know, adjusting your contracts and your agreements from there moving forward. There's a lot that could be done that could be really painful if you don't do it right up front. And that's why I said earlier, if a patient owes 2,500 bucks and you're looking at it as a $2,500 risk, no, the risk isn't just the 2,500. The risk is that claim and that reimbursement portion that you got back from the payer may also be at risk in an audit, right? Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what FinPay is and how do people get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, well, I'm Chris Wolfington. I'm the founder of FinPay and uh, my day job is chief revenue and strategy officer. FinPay is a patient financial management company, if you're going to put us in a category, but we're a solution that provides technology as well as managed solutions to help organizations manage the economic and the compliance risks that are associated with patient financial responsibility. <laughs> Said more plainly, patients owe a lot of money, you know, 20, 25% of what a provider revenue that they're entitled to. We help manage all the risk and get all that money paid. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. And uh, there's how, compliance How do people get in touch with you? Uh, my email address is cw at finpay.com, F-I-N-P-A-Y. And my phone number is 610-909-7000. Chris, what's the best way for somebody to find more information about FinPay? If you want to share your website or a yeah, blog so if you, or yeah, so you guys have. If you go to finpay.com, we're on LinkedIn. And so we post a lot of stuff on LinkedIn, things that are really relevant, topics and discussions. The website has a lot of information, breaks down the different technology solutions and managed solutions that we offer. But I'm a face-to-face -face guy. So what I always say to people, if you authentically, if patient financial responsibility is a risk or it's an area where you think there's opportunity to improve, the best thing to do is just call me because I like having conversations with people. I I'm passionate about the topic. 
So call me. No one's talking about inducement risk. And here's what's interesting. Unlike other types of compliance risk, with inducement, you have a motivated whistleblower. Thanks for tuning in to Hatching Creativity. We appreciate your support. Please don't forget to like and subscribe and tell all your friends about the show. And remember, it's never just about one thing.